we just we just pray with me real quick? Father, we come before you today, and we ask that you might speak. We might hear your voice, that on the days and weeks ahead, that you would be the one who guides and directs each of us. And as a community of faith, we find that you are never absent from our presence, that you are always here, that there's no place we go that you are not there. May you speak this morning. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Kids, you are dismissed. Um, as the kids leave, just a couple of prayer questions. We want to pray for uh, John and Amy Gungolski, and John's been in uh, the hospital this week, and has got some stuff going on they're trying to figure out. So if you remember them in your prayers this week, I'm sure they would appreciate it. Um, someone asked me this last week, a week before, if I was concerned about the church uh, being gone for a few weeks, and I said, not really. I'm more concerned when I come back that um, though I've like, had such a great time with Matt and Holly that I won't be needed here anymore. Um, I'm more concerned with that than I am of anything falling apart. Um, so... I'm thankful for you all. And I was, I was thinking today, um, I, I was in Indianapolis Friday and Saturday for, we have a thing called General Assembly in our denomination. It happens every four years or with COVID every seven years. And um, the global church gathers together. And so I sat in a service Friday night with about 10,000 people. And so this morning, about right now, they're probably getting ready and they're prepping for communion cups for 18,500 people uh, from all around the world. And so I sat in the African section on Friday night. I didn't know it was the African section until I got there, um, but we were just all hanging out and they're much louder singers than I am. Um, so it was kind of fun to be a part of that. But I was thinking um, as I was driving about road trips and I was thinking how summer is the time of road trips and summer is the time when people drive all over the place and um, maybe you have some memorable road trips, but I was thinking how road trips bring out all kinds of emotions in all of us. So I was thinking about one of the road trips I remember, Katie and I, we were on a honeymoon in Maui, and um, we took this drive to a place called Hana, which I'd never been before and probably will never go back. I don't know if I'll ever go to Hawaii again, but, but went there one time, and, and this drive is only 37 miles from where we were staying. Sound like it's not that far away. So we took off 37 miles, one direction. We had no idea, like, right, we had no money. We were staying through her work pretty, pretty cheap. And so um, had no idea what was in Hana, but it was a sign and you could go there. And so we took off. The problem was that 37 miles was like one lane roads with switchbacks where you honk around corners and the speed limits between 10 and 15 miles an hour at the most. We got behind a school bus at one point. It was, we got to where we thought we were supposed to go, like, this is it. People drive here for this. And it was just like a, a beach, like a little area, and we ate at a snack shop that made us both sick to our stomach, and then drove back. I was like, this was six and a half, seven hours of our life, we're never getting back. Uh, what we didn't know was we were one mile short of where you wanted to go, where there's like these waterfalls and all that stuff. We never made it that extra mile. Uh, and then I got home, I was talking to a friend of mine who was several years older than me, and, and he asked about the trip. He goes, oh, did you drive to Hana? And I said, yeah. And he goes, we almost got divorced on that trip. I'm like, I get it. Uh, we were newly married, so we were okay. But but I was thinking about that one, and then I was thinking about how um, we've driven uh, to see family multiple times um, in different locations, like with my brother's wedding in Kansas City, and it was an easy drive, and we were in no hurry, and it was just kind of smooth and had kind of a good time. The last couple of years, we've ended up in Tennessee for family reunion or whatever else, and um, one of those trips coming back, we left at like 2 p.m. and had 12 hours coming home, and so I looked at Katie, and I was like, hey, I'll drive for a little bit, and then it's all you, because i got to preach in the morning, and I don't want to get up at 5.30 if... I'm driving the whole way home. So I think that was a good trip. I don't really know. I slept for most of it. Um, but I was thinking about how these road trips, they bring all kinds of emotions from us, right? Like, um, or especially if you have children, it's things like this. Sure, you can have a pop. That's fine. Absolutely. We'll stop for the bathroom. We don't want that accident in this car. Um, no, you cannot hit your brother or sister. 
Uh, no, we are not almost there yet. And yes, I will stop this car. I know none of you have used any of those things. But one of the worst road trips I've ever been on was to visit my parents. Right? We've lived here, uh, it'll be 10 years next month, but we've lived here for 10 years. And so I know the way to my parents' house. Go there a couple times a year. I don't need the GPS. I don't need a map. I can just get there. Well, a couple years ago, we took off to go see my parents, and I didn't check anything because why would I? I know how to get there. And there's a value to your GPS, not just because it gives you the directions, but it also updates weather conditions and whether you should change direction based on those kinds of things. Well, we decided that, or I decided, that I didn't need to check it, and so I didn't until I realized I was one quarter mile past the last exit, and there was an overturned semi in a snowstorm, and we sat for three hours in one spot and didn't move. And then to get to my parents' house, the rest of the way, it's between 60 and 70 the whole way there. Um, I don't think we broke 45. And so what should have been a four and a half to five hour drive took like nine or 10. And I wanted to know when we were going to get there, right? Like it was awful. So um, road trips, they bring out all kinds of emotions. But have you noticed how all kinds of circumstances that are really beyond our control, they have an impact on our emotions during those moments, how we feel internally is impacted by those things externally. And sometimes we actually have control to be like, "Yeah, I'm not going to let that bother me. But most of the time, that's not what it is because our circumstances can change our moods. And so here's the question I have for you and I today. Have you ever allowed something internally or externally to determine how you feel, act, think, or behave? Have you allowed something outside to impact who you are? And I would ask a follow-up question, was it the right thing to allow to impact your life? Because the truth is, some things that are external should change and transform us, and other things that are external should not have enough influence to mess up how we think or how we feel. And so the question is, is the life you and I are leading, is it leading to the place or the destination we hope to end up? That's really the question Jesus has with his disciples. He's gathered them together. Right? We looked last week at chapter 13 in John. Today we're looking at chapter 14. Last week we looked at Jesus washing the disciples' feet and saying, here, I'm sending an example or a pattern for you to follow, a way of life for you to live. And then the end of chapter 13, there's a scene where Jesus and Peter are talking, and Peter's like, no, you won't go there. And Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to go another way. I'm going to die, and eventually you'll follow me in the way in which I'm going, but not yet. You're not ready yet. And chapter 14 picks up in this scene where Jesus has been telling them that you're to live as I have lived. You're to follow the example I have set for you. And here's what we find, John chapter 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? 
The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe in me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Now, um, I use this text a lot in funerals, and not because there aren't other texts in the Bible, but because it's a fitting text to think about what's the destination of our life? What direction am I going? Where am I going? What am I doing? Over and over again. And so this is the reality What Jesus begins with the singular line, do not let your hearts be troubled. Heart in the Gospel of John, if we translate that word better, it's like mind and emotions. It's both. Like, so our mind and our emotions. And so he's talking about don't let your hearts or your mind and emotions be troubled. But troubled here, here's how we translate it this. Inward turmoil or confusion. Inward turmoil or confusion. So what we're saying here is this. Refuse to let your mind or how you feel fall into inward turmoil or confusion. That's what Jesus is trying to say. It's his first line. Don't let these things dictate the internally how you feel. Right? Because um, here's the reality. I think for many of us, we recognize the idea that we buy into the idea that how I feel or inward desires or directions are always right. Like follow your heart or follow your mind or follow whatever you desire and it'll lead you to the life you hope for. Uh, what Jesus would say is that's like the opposite of true. If you continue to follow your heart or what you long for, you're going to find it leads to more and more brokenness over and over again. And so this is going to lead to a question we're going to try to talk about just a little bit is like, What's it look like for us to recognize that inward, if I control the direction of my life, it's going to lead to more and more brokenness. But if I allow the external nature of who God is to inform how I live and the direction of my life, then I might find actually life. All right, so what's this look like for us? Jesus says to them, you believe in God, believe in me. Now, this kind of belief that he's talking about is more than like, cognizant belief. It's not like, I think, like, so I think it, so it's okay. I think, I think I believe in God. So no, what Jesus is saying is this, the kind of belief where you would reorient your entire life after following him. It's not saying, oh yeah, Jesus, I, I believe that you're who you say you are. No, no. Are you reorienting your entire life following after him? Right, here's what I mean. If I believed that eating chocolate chip cookies every day would lead to the healthiest, like best self, then I would eat chocolate chip cookies every day. I don't believe that. I almost believe Chick-fil-A would do that, but it's not true either, so I don't eat it every day, right? I couldn't afford it, and it'd be terrible for me overall. Love it, not good for me overall, right? We know a healthy diet, exercise, those things matter, right? That, those are important things. So what Jesus is saying is this, that if you believe in God, believe also in me, and if you believe in me, then reorient your whole life around my teaching and what I tell you to do. And then Jesus gives this line. He said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And in my Father's house, there are many rooms. Now, if you have a King James Bible, King James Version Bible, or you like the old English that you probably don't really understand because most of us don't, if we're honest with ourselves. Um, maybe you have one of those. Um, but it says, like, and my father has many mansions. Well, by the way, in old English, mansion just means dwelling place. So if you thought you were going to get some sick house in heaven, it's not what the Bible actually says. I don't care what the word says. That's not what it actually means. But if we were to think more first century world in which Jesus is speaking about the way housing worked then, so you would have this kind of structure where dad or grandpa probably would have that initial house. And then 
as generations come along, right? So if I had a son and he got married, then we'd build another room on the house. And we just keep building rooms on the house. If I had a daughter, I'd have to say goodbye, see you later, unfortunately, but that's how that worked. So you just keep adding rooms to your house and you would create a courtyard kind of thing where it would kind of face inward and you'd keep adding rooms as you needed. It's kind of cool if you think about what Jesus is actually saying here then. My father's house can keep expanding as much as it needs to because there's always room for more. I'm going to prepare a place for you and you and you and you and you. My father's house has as many rooms as are needed. And how does Jesus go to prepare that place for us through his death and through his resurrection? But then, like Thomas, he says to them, you know, you know the way I'm going or you know where I'm going. And Thomas is like, um, Jesus, I, I hate to ask this question because, you know, this is what I love about Thomas. Um, he'll just ask the question that all of us are probably thinking, but none of us are like, we're just afraid to ask it. You know, we all have that friend who they'll ask whatever question. You're like, I wanted to know the answer to that, but I wasn't going to ask it. But I'm really glad they did. This is Thomas. He says, well, we don't know the way. How are we supposed to know the way where, where you're going? Like, how do we know? And Jesus gives one of the most impactful, powerful lines in the entire New Testament. In fact, it's one of the most powerful lines really in the scriptures. And it's because he references a scene, right? If you go back in the Old Testament, there's this moment where Moses is talking with God. And he's asking God this question. Who do I say that you are? God says to Moses, say that I am the I am. Okay. That's not what God said. You can silence your cell phones now. Um, Right, here's the reality. What he says is this, I am the I am. And so seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am, in reference to this idea that he is divine. John wants us to recognize that Jesus taught this over and over again. And they often didn't catch it because it's such a drastic teaching for you to say the I am, the way, the truth, and the life. For Jesus to say those words, what he is saying is this. The same I am that led the way in the desert to Exodus out of Egypt, that is the same I am that I am here before you. I am the way and the truth and the life. Or as John records the words of Jesus, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. The way, the truth, and the life. What is the way of Jesus? Seen in how he lived, the pattern and example he set for his followers, seen in his, the way he modeled his life. It's why it's the chapter before we talked about last week where... He says, I've set before you an example of what it looks like to serve others. It's the pattern that Jesus set for his followers. The way of Jesus is selfless and sacrificial. Right, I heard a story uh, yesterday actually in the car. And uh, a guy named Jeff Stark who's coming here this fall. Jeff was telling a story about a guy named Jeremy uh, and a guy in his church. And Jeremy came to know Jesus. He'd worked on a factory line. and was kind of known as the angry guy at work. And he was the angry guy in all these conversations. And... Um, gives his life to Jesus, and fast forward a little bit later, and and Jeremy's at work, and he goes to have you know the, the break area, and he's sitting there, and God says to him, he says, I, hey, go talk to that guy, and he's like, mm, wrong guy, God, I'm like that's not what I do. I'm the angry guy. I don't talk to people like that, and he's like, no, no, no you do now. Um, he's like, mm, 
don't know. And he's like, all right. So, and I guess Jeremy's like this kind of manly man, big burly kind of guy. And he goes over to this guy and he goes, um, I know this is kind of weird, uh, but God told me to ask you how you're doing. And the guy looks at him and just starts sobbing and says, I'm an alcoholic and my life is spiraling out of control. Jeremy also had recovered from alcoholism. And so he was able to walk alongside this guy and help. Right, so what's it look like to follow in the way of Jesus? It looks like in whatever sphere of influence you have, wherever you live, to be open to the Spirit's leading in your life. The way of Jesus is to recognize that as you go, wherever you go, you are called to be the very presence of God in those places and those situations. Right? It's why we believe in the priesthood of all believers. It's why I can say with honesty, I'm really not worried about our church. I actually hope the better days for our church happen over these next several weeks with me not even here. Why? Because you and I are called to be the very hands and feet of Jesus everywhere that we go. And if you and I are doing that, like God's kingdom will continue to expand exponentially greater than we could ever imagine if we're open to the way of Jesus in our life. And Jesus says, I'm not only the way, I'm the truth. And right, we often think about truth as like embodied, right? That's part of what he did and through that, but also it's taught. And so I was thinking about the central teaching of Jesus. And I know you hear it from me a lot and you're probably gonna hear it forever. Um, and I asked Matt this week, I was like, hey, can I talk about this again? He goes, yeah, why not? You're gonna have to be here for several weeks. It's fine if they hear it again. I'm like, all right, I like the way you think. So again, the central teaching of Jesus is this, blessed are the poor, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted, right? This is from the Sermon on the Mount. He goes on to say this, you've heard it said, you shall not murder, but I say to you, you shouldn't even get angry. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say to you, you shouldn't even lust. You've heard it said, you can swear by this or by that, but not by the other. But what I say to you is, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, or it's okay to just get even. You can't do more than that, but you can get even. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you might be called children of your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, not if, but when, when you pray, not if, but when, what do you pray? You pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are we living in such a way that God's kingdom is present in the here and the now that heaven breaks into this moment? Or do we still believe it's just some far off reality that Jesus hasn't done anything to where we live into it here and now? For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Ouch. When you fast. Not like if or maybe, but like when you take a break from food. When you do it, not if, but when. I don't love that one either, if I'm honest, but it's a good practice for us. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but, what's he say? Basically, you can love God or money, but not both. Do not worry. Are you sure that's what it says? Yeah, pretty sure. Do not worry, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. 
right? He uses the illustration that sometimes someone else will have a speck in their eye. You've got something in your eye, and you've got a plank sticking in your eye. Like it's this illustration that's not really helpful because it's like, that's so gregarious. That's his whole point. And it doesn't mean in the church that we don't talk to one another about the life that we're living or where we're going or the direction we're heading because some of those things do lead to brokenness. But we do it in an openness to our own shortcomings, not pointing the finger at others. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Right? This is known as the golden rule. It's not, don't do to other people what you don't want to have them do so you can just sit back. It's do for other people what you wish they would do for you. The truth. The way, the truth, and then the life. And Jesus was the first fruits, the beginning of what it looks like to live the resurrected life, to live the kind of life that is life eternal, life here and now, the kind of life that leads to life, the kind of life that transforms who we are, that is resurrected, that is made new. And he offers you and I the true life that he lived. But the problem for us is we sometimes will look to something inside where there is turmoil and confusion, and we'll think that will drive us. If we'll just do that, it'll make us happy or we'll feel better. And so we'll say to people, some of the worst advice you could ever give from the perspective of Jesus is follow your heart or just do what makes you happy. That is not anywhere in the teaching of Jesus. What he would say is this, die to yourself and find life in me. Follow me and find the life that leads to life. Don't allow the inward confusion and turmoil that exists in you to be what drives you, but recognize this, you can come to me when your heart is troubled the words in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, rest for your souls. And so he offers us life. It is external, but I know that's hard for many of us because the idea that I would let something outside of me determine what I do, but, but that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's to submit everything to him and say, you can have it all. Right, and then so Philip's thinking of this conversation, Jesus, okay, you're the way, the truth, and life, got it. Um, will you just show us the Father, right? Or next, Philip's actual words, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. In other words, Jesus, you're great, and we've been around you a lot, and we think you're awesome, but can we just see the real guy? Right, like you're pretty good, but can we just see the real one? Like, you know, the one that we would like more, right? Um, you're great, can you just show us the Father? Like, Jesus, you're good, you're good. But can we see more, right? Because here's the assumption that Philip makes that so often we make, is Jesus and God must be radically different. That God must be so other than who Jesus is before us. And then Jesus speaks words that should be life-giving for all of us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, right? anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Here is what Jesus is saying. You want to see the Father? You're looking at him. I'm him. He and I are the same. He is me. What we begin to see is this. is God is the source of all truth and life. And Jesus leads people to him. Jesus models that God says there's no place that love will not go. That not even death will separate God's love from you. 
It'll continue to pursue you and come after you, and God's love is selfless and sacrificial, right? It is not surprising that if you were to take many passages from the Old Testament, and people would write about their understanding of who God is, and Jesus comes, and we just read several of the sections from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus corrects their understanding of particular texts, says, no, 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 that's not what we're trying to say here. Here's how we understand who God actually is. Just like in our day, sometimes we get the character and nature of God wrong, but what Jesus is trying to say is, what you see in me, that's who the Father is. Yeah, there are things we don't do because they don't fit in the kingdom of God. They don't live from love. They're not appropriate for God's people. But let me show you who the Father is. In other words, we say it this way. We don't get to make God separate than who Jesus says he is. Jesus says to us who God is. He reminds us that he is in the Father, and the Father is in him. And so again, Jesus' life, teaching, and death, and resurrection are for signs of us, the character and the nature of who God is. One of the realities that Jesus speaks of in this particular text is the idea of what does it look like to live into the place of God's love? What does it look like to have eternity with God both here and now and in the life to come? And notice for Jesus, the emphasis is not on the destination, but on the journey. Do you notice that? This is a hard thing for many of us, right? We like the idea that I just want to go to heaven. I want to go to whatever heaven might be. I want to go out to that place. Or if it comes here, like I, I just want to be heaven. I don't, you know, I, I, that's all I really want. Right? So we'll try to pray a prayer to go to heaven. Notice that's not in the New Testament, by the way. We're well-meaning when we do that, but notice it is not something that we find in the Scripture. Just pray a particular prayer and you're in. That doesn't have a place in the New Testament. It doesn't have a place in the teaching of Jesus. What we find over and over again is Jesus invites us to follow him with our whole selves. And then we get to experience what it looks like to know what life with God is here and now and for all eternity. It is not the idea that we pray a, get, pray a prayer to get out of jail or get out of hell card, right? We don't get that. That's not the goal here. Jesus wants us to know he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so the challenge for us is we often will buy into one or two kind of polar opposites in this. Right? We buy into, like, just pray a prayer and you're in. Please, pray a prayer. But don't think that's where it stops. We follow him with our life. Right? We're continually transformed. It's what we talk about being made holy, being recreated in the image of Jesus. It's called Christ-likeness or sanctification. He does this work in and through us. It is not just a thing we do one time and we're done. That doesn't have a place, right? Jesus said, believe in me, the belief that would reorient your life around me. And the second temptation for us is this, that we'll just believe that all roads lead to the same place in eternity with Jesus. So you can believe whatever you want to believe, and it's fine. You'll all end up in the same place. That also doesn't have a place in the New Testament or in the teaching of Jesus. What Jesus does say, it is not at the exclusion of others, but I am offering an exclusive claim. I am the way and the truth and the life to the Father. No one else and nothing else will get you there. But it is not the exclusion of others. It is our choice to choose to enter into relationship with God. What Jesus says to us, I have come all the way to you. All you have to do is say yes to me. Will you choose me? Because I've already picked you. Will you follow me? Will you come to know my love? Will you come to know my rest? Will you trust your whole self to me? Because it's tough for us in this world in which we live to often find out that we, we can't just say that everything ends up in the same place, right? Here's what I mean by that. Jesus says over and over again, I'm the only way for true life. I'm the only direction to receive the life that God has for you and I. 
what he says over and over again is this, no one gets to the Father except through me, that through him we find our greatest life, our identity, our hopes, and our dreams. They can all be wrapped up in following him. If we allow him, an external force, to shape the internal life of us, then we'll find that we will follow him and come to know true life. We understand this when we take road trips, that not all roads lead to the same place, right? Here's what I mean. It's been a few years ago now. We hadn't lived here very long, and my sister was going to visit a friend in Battle Creek, Michigan, and so I met my mom and sister there so I could give my mom a ride to our house. And I, like, you know, I've lived here 10 minutes, so I knew where I was going. And so I got to Battle Creek, fine, no issues at all. I turned around and head back. And I knew I was needed to take 131 North. Uh, at some point, I never, I went right by 131 North and kept going on 94. Did you know that no matter how far you go on 94, you'll never get to Muskegon? Crazy, right? I knew when I saw signs that I was getting closer to Holland that I somewhere went the wrong way. And so we just took 31 North and eventually got home. Or, um, like yesterday, I told you I was in Indianapolis and coming home last night, and I knew the direction I wanted to go, but there was a road closed, and so I had to kind of detour around. And so you're, my phone's trying to correct me. I'm like, that has a sign that says I can't go there, so I had to keep going. And I knew the direction I wanted to go, but I kept going the wrong way. Eventually, I turned and got the right direction. But this is what our faith is like. If we continue to choose to go the way that our inner turmoil, our confusion, or frustration, or what we think we feel, or just emotions, or what we long for, but it isn't the way Jesus has for us, it's going to keep leading us to the wrong direction. And no matter how much we want it to go the right direction, if it's not following him, we'll never get there. But here's the beautiful thing about the way Jesus works in us and through us. Is that when we're going the wrong direction, much like our GPS can reroute us the right way to get back on the right direction, Jesus does the same thing in and through us. If we're willing to say, God, I, I don't know the direction my life is going, but I know it's not the way you want for me. He will reroute our life towards him and we can continue to follow after him and find the life that leads to life where death never really even enters in. He wants us to know that he is the way the truth, and the life. The challenge for us is we often long for the destination, but what Jesus is saying, the route we take matters. We long for the destination, but the route we take matters. The journey we're on is important, and so whatever troubles our heart, our mind, or emotions, if we're weighed down by these things, it causes inward turmoil and confusion. And we need to come to know the one who says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. But we know the beauty of the story of Jesus is this. He says to you and I, come and receive the life that I have on offer for you. Over and over again, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Or turn from the way you have been living and thinking and believing. And turn towards me and come to know the life that I have for you. That's this morning. I don't have some great compelling thing to say except for this. For you and I, there are two words that I think should matter for everything we do in our life, and it's this. Follow Jesus. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together today for the way in which you love us as we are, where we are, but you don't leave us there. 
that you desire to change the direction of our lives so that we find ourselves going after you in everything that we say and do. May we live lives where we understand you are the way and the truth and the life. And will you help us to set our hearts after you? We come to know your love and your grace and your mercy. We help us to choose you in every situation, every moment of our lives. And so, Father, we ask today that you would help us. If there are areas of our life we need to surrender to you, that we would let go of them so that we could come to know the fullness of who you are, so that we could know the life that leads to life. So, Father, we pray today. You would help us become more and more the people of God you have called us to be. We pray this all in your son Jesus' name.